It's time for episode 128 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, March 16th, 2016, and brought to you by IT Pro TV. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast, where I'm your host, Dan Solo. Well, it was either that or Dan- Dando Calrissian. I really didn't know which was the better option there. Jason Snell is away on assignment, so I'm running uh, the show myself today, which means I have three fantastic guests seated around the table from me. We're going to go left and proceed clockwise in their introductions. From Mashable, senior editor Christina Warren is here. Hi, Christina. Hello. Welcome back. Glad to be here. Directly across from me is the co-host of many popular podcasts, including the XNL Tech Podcast and Analog here on Relay FM, Mr. Casey Liss. Hi, Casey. Hey, how are you? I'm doing very well. And to my right is iOS and Mac developer of such noted apps as PCalc and DragThing, Mr. James Thompson. Hi, James. Hi, Dan. I'm always happy to appear when the episode number is a power of two. I noticed that as well. I didn't think about that until just now. Uh, Yeah, well, we'll see you on at, what's the next one, 256? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we've got four topics today, and since I am the only host, I am going to kick things off. Uh, I noticed the other day uh, Apple is expanding, still working hard on Apple News. I think they've opened it up to pretty much anybody who wants to, you know, use their fancy content techniques. Uh, and they obviously want more publishers to buy in. I think there was something recently about them allowing sponsored content as well. Uh, they're pushing it pretty hard. Do you guys use it? Do you read anything in Apple News? Uh, why, if so? And if not, why not? Christina? Yeah, you know, I don't really use it that much, if I'm being honest. I use it sometimes, you know, when you do the thing where you, you, you swipe to the, the left on your home screen and you can see, like, your suggestions. And when the news things come up there... I actually do use that, I suppose. And so oftentimes we'll be like, oh, I see that this, you know, thing about, you know, the the, the Supreme Court nomination, you know, and you, you tap on the link and it'll open it up in Apple News. And that's pretty nice. But generally, I don't. And I think it's because I've gotten so used to getting my news from Twitter or from other places that it's just not on my, my to go to list. And, and then honestly, too, I spend a lot of time when I'm actually looking for news, I'm usually on a web browser. So again, Twitter makes more sense. Um, but I do appreciate that they're trying to uh, to do more stuff with it, that they're building more tools. Uh, some of the new things they announced is that any publisher, basically even smaller publishers, can use their tools to create, you know, Apple News uh, formatted feeds. And, and that's all really solid. Um, but but I, I still, I guess, fundamentally kind of have questions about how successful this strategy is going to be for them. I like that you prefaced your comment with, if I'm being honest, as opposed to, no, lie. Tell us how much you use Apple News. <laughs> <laughs> Casey, what about you? Uh, I also do not use it. I also, um, I, unlike Christina, do not use the little uh, screen to the left of the, your first home screen. I, I never look at that, really. I just don't use it at all. And I used to use Flipboard when it was new and trendy um, years ago. But I tried Apple News once or twice when it was brand new and didn't really get anything out of it and just kind of abandoned it. And like Christina, I found that even though I'm a, I used to be anyway a devout RSS user, I get so much of my information and news from Twitter that even my regular old RSS usage has gone down considerably to the point that I'm thinking about maybe abandoning it, which even a year ago I would thought I would think no way. But nope, no Apple News, very little RSS. It's turning more and more toward Twitter for me. 
Yeah, I would have to admit also that I don't use it at all. Um, when it first appeared with iOS 9, we didn't get it in the UK until 9.1. And I think all the fuss about it had died down by that point, And I have mostly forgotten that it even existed. Uh, I went through the setup at the time and it seemed that the categories I could pick from were really broad. You know, do I like entertainment? Well, I guess I do. <laughs> but I, I tried it again just there and they've clearly gone in the other direction because it is now suggesting topics to me like radio telescopes and Dolby theatres. Um, <laughs> so I use the Feedly RSS uh, service, either the website or with the reader app, reader with two E's. Uh, three E's, um, on my iOS devices. But I've been reducing the number of sites I subscribe to generally there as well because um, I get quite stressed when it's time to go to bed at night and it's telling me that there are unread articles mm-hmm. somewhere on the internet. <laughs> and if I tap the button to mark everything as read, then I feel like I've missed out on something important and that's stressful in itself. And honestly, a lot of the news is really depressing right now. So I think reading less of it is a good thing for my mental state. Um so I'm trying to cut out, you know, cut down uh, a feed a month or something. And I just to get my news fairly organically through social media these days. Although I've just transformed my fear of unread articles into a fear of unread messages across like a million <laughs> Slack channels. Yeah, I was going to say it's the the unread articles somewhere on the internet is one of the worst things. Let me know when you finish the internet because that's, that's well, going to be a that, huge That's thing. the main problem with Apple News is it doesn't seem to have a bottom. It just mm. infinitely scrolls in more and more yeah. news. So There's always more news. To, how do I know when to stop reading? It's up to me to choose when to stop reading, and I just don't like that at all. Um, if Apple News could come to me at the end of the day and say, here are the dozen things in the world that happened today that you absolutely need to know about, then I would definitely use it. The BuzzFeed News app tries to do that, and it's reasonable, uh, but it's not tailored at all. And yeah, I'm basically the Goldilocks of news. Give me exactly the right number of articles I can easily read, no more and no less. Well, that's, uh, that's if you're keeping track at home, Apple, that's zero for four, because I don't really use Apple News either. I'd say I'm pretty close to Christina's usage, which is I sometimes see those headlines on the little left uh, screen there, and I might tap on something and go into Apple News and then end up frightened and confused when I don't know what's going on. But I agree with I, James. I think you're totally right. The, the category started as way too broad. There's no sense of scale in terms of like, how long is it going to take me to read the news? Well, the answer is basically, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, so I, I don't think that Apple has quite managed to hit it on its head yet. But I think they are. It's nice that they're expanding to more publishers and trying to, you know, refine this interface and make it better. But currently i think that this is probably not much better especially with the you know social media so many of us getting our news from there i still use rss a little bit as well but um yeah apple news has definitely not supplanted any of those for me uh well thanks for your thoughts on that our second topic comes from christina so i've been obsessed with the fx series the people versus oj simpson and i don't know if anyone here is going to be is watching it or not but um uh, that'll be one of my questions to you but one of the things i can't get away from when i watch the show is how different you know the events took place 20 years ago and how different the case may have been and, and, and the trial may have been if we'd had the technology we have today so that's sort of the question i wanted to pose for you guys first of all are you watching the show and and second of all even if you're not what do you think about the the role that technology that we have now could have played in what it was one of the most significant uh legal cases in american history 
Sure. So I do not watch the show, and I only have the most vague uh, memories of the actual trial. Uh, Christine, I think you and I are roughly the same age, but we were both um, pretty young when this was all going on. Like, I remember the Bronco chase vaguely, and I remember the trial a little bit, but not a lot. Um, I've been paying attention to the show, although I've heard um, you, amongst others, say it's very good. As far as the technology portion, I I just want to fast forward to Minority Report, and then we'll be all set. (laughs) um, Yeah, that really solved all those problems, Casey. (laughs) Yeah, it totally solved everything. No, it is fascinating to see, especially as somebody who used to love uh, CSI back in the day, it's fascinating to see what technology can do to improve... try to put the right people in uh, behind bars for when they do terrible things. And we're seeing kind of uh, tangentially a lot of that being played out in the press between Apple and the FBI right now. But I think that the most interesting news story of this year so far and potentially of next year is going to be um, what, where we as a society, and I mean that both in terms of America and worldwide, uh, land on what is an appropriate use of encryption. And I'm not going to get into what I think right now, but, you know, is encryption appropriate always? Is it appropriate only when you're a law-abiding citizen? Is it appropriate as long as the as the law enforcement can get back in? It's a fascinating, fascinating discussion that is not too far away from what you're talking about here. Um, so I haven't watched the series. Um, I had heard of it, but I wasn't even aware that it was a dramatization until I looked it up just now. And I was quite surprised. (laughs) I was quite surprised to see it had Ross from Friends in it. Um, Oh, it does? Yes. He plays Robert Kardashian. (laughs) No way. That's awesome. But it's interesting as possibly the outsider here. The UK public, at least in general, doesn't seem to be as interested in the case to anywhere near the level of the US public. I remember the trial being occasionally on TV 20 years ago. And I mean, I'm slightly older than you, but uh, I remember virtually nothing since then. Um, O.J. Simpson was the comedy sidekick from the Naked Gun movies here because (laughs) the whole American football side of him meant nothing to us. So it was the trial itself which really brought him to prominence. So I'm speaking from a perspective of almost complete ignorance. Um, I think... Like many people, virtually everything I've learned about forensics, and I use the word learned in quotes, is also from things like CSI and other similar TV shows. So I have a completely unrealistic view of what is and isn't possible through modern forensic technology. (laughs) And I think shows like that are, at least over here, more likely to influence a modern jury as to what they expect in terms of evidence and, and what you need to prove something during a case. Um, I think the encryption uh, argument is also very interesting. and I think that's a developing story and we'll see what happens on that. Um, I haven't watched The Bachelor either, Christina. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. How would, how would The Bachelor be different with modern tech? Wait a second. Um, no, I think you're int- it's interesting because, you know, social media especially, you know, it makes experts out of all of us, right? Because we can all give our opinions and they're all more or less weighted with a similar, uh, you know, us through a similar lens. Um, so I, I, when you do look at these these big flashpoint cases like the Apple versus the FBI or or other you know major a lot of the Supreme Court cases for example, um, it is interesting to see just how prolific the conversation is. I mean, back in you know the mid '90s, I'm probably pretty close to Christina and, and Casey in age. Uh, you know, I imagine like much of the discussion about this was conducted in you know around the water cooler or what have you. But now it's you know there is a global audience for these sorts of things, and it really it's fascinating because not only does it make it so 
so visible, you know, everybody's arguing and talking about these things uh, and has strong opinions and wants to share their opinions. Um, but it also just, you know, it turns it into potentially an echo chamber as well, you know, and I, I think that's that's an interesting uh that's an interesting lens to sort of view it through so i don't know much about the forensic angle of it and whether that would have changed any of what what actually happened during the during the case but um i think the the advent of social media and that kind of stuff would have played a, a big role in something that prominent especially with a, a celebrity on trial there i mean i mean look how much attention even just the hulk hogan case has gotten <laughs> oh so, <laughs> duh, i just oh man it's terrible Christine, did we answer your question sufficiently? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that it, I'm sad that I'm the only one who watches the show because you should all watch it. It's very good. But uh, but I think that, yeah, you bring up some interesting points. I do think the social media part would be what would maybe be the biggest change. It, that was, as I recall, and, and, and I was I was like 12 when the, when the case you know was happening. But like it was one of those things that everyone was talking about. It was literally on the tips of everyone's tongues. But now it would be all over the Internet, too. I do think that it's interesting to think about just how much DNA um, has, has changed and the technology there and the science there has improved in 20 years because it was argued successfully by the defense almost that you kind of couldn't trust the DNA technology, whereas today I think it would be inconceivable that he would have been acquitted simply based on the blood evidence. I mean, the jury still could have gone their own way if they wanted to do that, but the blood evidence alone probably would have uh, convicted him uh, pretty soundly. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about. All right, that's two topics down, two topics to go. I'm going to pause briefly for uh, a note from our sponsor. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by IT Pro TV. Do you have a career plan set in motion? Whether you're looking to start a career in IT or already working in the field, certifications and credentials are the key to getting a job or promotion. IT Pro TV's mission is education through engagement with up-to-date, high-quality video content and access to the most important tools you need for technology certification. The service features over 1,000 hours of content with 50 hours being added each week and courses can be streamed live and on demand worldwide to any of your various devices, your Chromecast, your Roku, your PC, your iOS and Android device. You can learn no matter where you are. Uh, course topics include system center configuration management, Apple certified support professional, Amazon Web Services, Google Groups for Business and more. You can take a deep dive into ethical hacking, security and cryptography as we were just discussing. Uh, if you don't have time to watch, all the courses are transcribed. You can watch from start to finish or just jump to the part that you're looking for. Uh, IT Pro TV also includes 100 step-by-step virtual machine labs and transcender practice exams, all for one low monthly subscription price, and there's a no-hassle cancellation policy. If you're studying with a book or enrolled in a certification or technical degree program, this is a fantastic supplement to learn at your own pace and track your progress, and it's much cheaper than, say, a competitive boot camp. If you're a working IT pro already, this is the ongoing resource you need to keep your skills current. Corporate and group pricing is also available, and IT Pro TV's clients include Harvard, MIT, UCSD, Stanford, and more. Uh, check out itpro.tv slash clockwise to boost your brain with the most popular IT certifications. Premium subscriptions are normally $57 a month or $507 per year, but we have a special offer. Try it free for seven days when you sign up using our code clockwise30. Check out the courses, live stream, and more. You'll also receive 30% off the lifetime of your account. That's less than $40 per month or just $399 for the entire year. Uh, don't forget to mark your calendar for the CCNP security courses, which will stream live for the first time beginning March 21st. Just visit itpro.tv slash clockwise and use the code clockwise30 to try for seven days free, plus save 30% off the life of your account. 
Thanks very much to IT Pro TV for sponsoring this week's episode of Clockwise. And now we're back with our second two topics, the first of which comes from Casey Liss. Sure. So uh, I've been really intrigued by mixing the physical and electronic world. And my question to you guys, and I'm going to start off by answering myself because I think it kind of illustrates what I'm after here, is do you have any apps or any other favorite ways to have your real and electronic worlds mix? And and I bring this up because I've been playing this game recently called Black Box. And the premise of the game, it's an iOS app, and the premise of the game is you use your phone to play the game, but you almost never have to touch the screen. So... A spoiler alert, uh, one of the ways you can w- achieve one of the goals is to mess with the volume on the phone. And so you're not touching the screen, but you're still using the phone. Other things involving going to different physical places and stuff like that. Uh, another example of this might be that Zombies Run game, which is which I guess the way it worked is you, you put headphones on as you go for a run and it pretends like you're running away from zombies. Are, what are the ways that you like to have your kind of physical and electronic worlds mixed together? Are there clever things that you've seen lately? Well, until recently, I would have said that I'd hope to just entirely replace the real world with the electronic <laughs> one um, by means of VR. But having spent a whole £10 on a Google Cardboard headset recently, it just gave me non-virtual nausea and headaches and no real <laughs> sense of presence. Uh, I'm not sure yet if that's going to be me, um, but I, I haven't tried any of the high-end VR systems yet, let alone any of the augmented reality headsets. Basically, I'm going to wait for somebody else to get them so I can try them out. But what I'd really like to have is a VR system that works in combination with an exercise machine, much like the elliptical cross trainer that you can just about make out in my living room under all the layers of dust. Um, (laughs) I want to ride, you know, a virtual bike through the streets of any city in the world, row through the canals of Venice, that sort of thing. Um, And I'm sure that if VR does actually take off in a meaningful way, we're going to see all that sort of stuff. Um, But I saw a report yesterday, I think it must have been from GDC, about people selling little wind machines that would connect to your VR exercise machines and provide the appropriate (laughs) physical feedback as you um, cycled along, which I did think was cool. But it also made me think that all these companies are going to lose a lot of money if this whole VR thing doesn't pan out. Um, You might think that I'm just trying to avoid going out into the real world and getting some real exercise on the real streets with my real bike. And you might be really right, but maybe I should just do that. It would certainly be a lot cheaper. Yeah, I haven't had much opportunity to try out much of the virtual reality stuff either. Like Casey, I'm a big fan of Black Box. It's a great game. It's super challenging and incredibly clever. uh, And I've really enjoyed everything that the developer's done with that one. Um I'm trying to think of other really good examples. Uh, I, I my girlfriend did a use this sort of art installation slash VR thing that was a touring around called Birdly, where you like put on a VR headset and it it's like and you you like lie down on this table that has like actuated arms and you can like fly around like you're a bird in this virtual New York. And she thought that was the coolest darn thing that she had ever done. Um, and so you know, I definitely having played a lot of uh immersive video games recently i can see why mixing that kind of experience uh could be a a lot of fun although i am wary of the virtual nausea as well i was thinking of other games and i I don't know i mean very on the low-tech side of that i i enjoy i played recently again the game uh heads up where you like hold the iphone on your forehead and like charades that's a fun ridiculous game that kind of mixes the physical world like it's it's a game that's about interacting with people around you just using the phone as that device rather than you know like all staring at our phones and trying to play 
play games on it. So I, I really enjoy those sorts of things where people, especially game developers, can come up with ways to enhance our interactions with each other rather than just all sequestering ourselves in our own devices. Yeah, to your point about that, Dan, um, I love Heads Up. That's a great game. Um, Exploding Kittens, the card game, they just came out with an iPhone version, too. And I actually think it works really well, where they did a really good job translating the card game to the phone. And, and it, you can play it wirelessly between two phones to kind of, you know, have have your, your, your deck of cards. Um, but you don't feel like everybody's just staring at their phones. It still feels like it's an interactive experience. Um, I've had some experience with the VR headsets, not a ton, but I've had some, you know, I've, I've played demos here and there and I like the concepts a lot, but I do kind of feel like every time I'm in those experiences, I do kind of want the full kind of augmented reality thing where I want it to bring the, both the virtual world and the physical together. And we're so close. Um, you, you get into the world and you're like, oh, this is so awesome. This is so immersive. But now I kind of wanted to incorporate my movements or, you know, you're talking about, James, you know, the, the things you can attach to exercise bikes like feel wind like that's really fascinating. And I wonder how long it'll be until we actually have things that will be able to do more of that. Uh, but if I'm being honest, I mean, I spend so much of my time staring at screens. I should probably do myself a favor and spend more time um, trying to actually interact with the living world. Casey, does that satisfy you? Yeah, very much so. I'm surprised none of you brought up uh, geocaching, which I think is another great example of this. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that all makes perfect sense. Excellent. Uh, our last topic then comes from James. So I have a small apartment. As it turns out, it wasn't bigger on the inside. But I have <laughs> too many things, not even counting the Lego. So I recently started a big clear out in my home office. I got rid of a lot of old Apple stuff, some of which has been sitting untouched on my shelves for nearly 20 years. So are you a tech hoarder as well? And what things do you still have that you should really part with? Well, like James, I live in a small apartment and I'm recording this in my very cluttered home office. And, and for some great tie-in, um, the garbage truck is about to go by outside. So I feel like <laughs> I feel like we've got some interesting mixed media marketing going on here or something. Um, and like you, I gather, I, I think I have a lot of things. I think the biggest thing that I probably need to get rid of is I have a, real, a lot of those boxes. <laughs> and not just, you know, a lot of people keep their Apple product boxes. And I definitely have a lot of Apple product boxes. Uh, but I also have just random boxes for a lot of other pieces of equipment, some of which I no doubt don't own anymore. And I don't know why that I feel the need to hoard those kinds of things. I think in the first, you know, several months afterwards, I'm like, well, if I don't like it, I want to return it. At least I have the box. Um, but, you know, six months after that, it starts to get pretty ridiculous. It's like, all right, you're not going to return this thing. So, you know, every time I go into my hall closet and the giant 55-inch LCD TV box falls out on me, I'm a little regretful about the fact that I still have that. And yet I, I can't quite bring myself to throw it out. So the answer is, yes, I'm a tech hoarder. Hello, my name is Dan. I'm a tech hoarder. Uh, and I probably should clear a lot of this stuff out of my office. And I probably will, but it might not be till the next time I actually end up moving, if ever. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I'm most certainly a tech hoarder and a hoarder in general. Um, it, it's not that bad. I mean, I kind of I've got it under control a little bit. But um, it's bad enough that it. my apartment is also very small. I live in, in a two-bedroom apartment in, in New York. But in New York, that means that it's about the same size as a one-bedroom apartment most, most other places. And... Um, we actually pay money for a, a storage company where basically they store things in bins for you, you know, during the year and you just get get it stuff back when you need it. They actually have an iMac box for me for a 27-inch iMac that I'm paying money <laughs> for them to store. I'm not going to need the box ever again. I should just get rid of that. Um, at my parents' house, this is how bad the hoarding is, we have, I think, three G4 towers 
in their basements, um, which I think that we can safely disperse of. But at the same time, I'm like, but I might need it someday. No, but I won't. Um, for me, though, the big one that, that is going to be the hardest for me to ever get rid of, but if I'm being totally honest, is the one I probably should start at the very least fully, fully digitizing because I have um, several thousand DVD and Blu-rays, and it takes up an enormous amount of space. But they're my children, and I've invested <laughs> a lot in them. And I am, like, wary even, you know, doing the whole thing, ripping them and having them on the NAS and doing that stuff. Like, I don't I, – I feel like, okay, where will they be backed up to be – and, and will, will they be okay? And, and I, I like having them physically around. So, yes, to answer your question, my name is Christina. I'm a tech hoarder, <laughs> and I pay money to have someone store a box for me. So by comparison, I feel like an angel, although I'm really <laughs> honestly not. Um, I recently cleaned out my office when I got a 27-inch iMac. Um, I used that as an excuse to clean out my office, clean out my desk, and I threw away quite a lot of things. Um, but I thought I'd tell a brief story about something I actually wish I hadn't thrown away. Um, when I was a kid, I really got into computers when my dad got sick of me asking him questions about MS-DOS, or actually it was IBM DOS, like 3.3 or something like that. And he just said, well, just read the book, okay? And I was like eight at the time or something like that. And so recently I found someone on the internet that I could pay to send me an original production of the DOS 3.3 manual, which I did. So I would have a copy of it to show my son one day and be like, oh, you don't even know. Look at how I had it back in the day. Um, so I definitely have hoardy tendencies, although I am trying, I would say I'm a half-reformed hoarder at this point. Well, um, the main things I had on my shelves were the faded product boxes for old Mac software. Mm. Yeah, ninety percent, ninety-nine percent air and cardboard, with one tiny CD jewel case inside. Um, applications like Photoshop and Illustrator, and lots of games like Age of Empires and Warcraft. My initial plan was to remove the cardboard bit inside, flatten the outer box, and keep them along with the actual contents. But when I saw the giant stack of flattened boxes, something snapped in me, and I realized I didn't need any of it at all. So it went in the recycling. Okay, so I did keep the jewel cases and the actual discs. <laughs> and I know that it's highly unlikely that I'll ever need them again either. But having said that, Warcraft 3 just got patched for Intel support this week, 14 years later. <laughs> so you never know. Um, but I also cleaned out every single developer CD from the past two decades, which were sitting in pride of place on the shelves above my desk and of no use whatsoever to my day-to-day -day work. They actually went off to noted developer historian Steve Troughton Smith rather than into the trash, or should I say wastebasket as Apple used to call it. Um, an 18-year-old G3 server and a G5, both mint condition and still in their original boxes, also, wow. went off to, also went off to live happily on the farm with all the other computers. They actually did go to collectors too. All in all, I freed up a good cubic meter of storage space and I haven't stopped yet. Um, that's 264 US gallons. But I can't throw out my original inside Macintosh developer books and you don't know when you're going to need some old VGA cable or ADB adapter, so I have a box of those as well. And I might have a stack of old laptops, but they don't take up too much space. Maybe a couple of Palm Pilots. I think my main problem is a dangerous combination of nostalgia and a feeling of, well, maybe that will come in handy one day. And l looking at the hundreds of DVDs on my shelf in the living room, I can't remember the last time I actually played one of them. And honestly, I wonder if they should be next to go. Um, but just in case the next time you see me, you think I'll be sitting in Jonathan Ives' featureless white room. <laughs> I have to confess, I went back to 
to the recycling later and I retrieved the boxes for Starship Titanic Mist and a few other games because <laughs> I, I kind of have a problem. Uh, so I'm glad we've all been able to out our uh, tech hoarding tendencies. It's okay. We're, we should start a support group, I guess. Um, we have just enough time left for a bonus topic. I'm going to go with an oldie but a goodie. Uh, what are you guys reading right now, Christina? So I am reading uh, The Run of His Life, the, 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 which is the, the book that the People versus O.J. Simpson is based on. I've actually read it about a decade ago when Jeffrey Tubin first wrote it, but I'm reading it again. I'm almost done with it. And uh, anybody who was either doesn't remember the, the O.J. case or, or forgot a lot about it, and, and anyone who watches the show, which, again, it's my second plug of the day, but it's a really good show, uh, should read it. It's, it's very, very good. Casey, how about you? You know, I haven't been a very good boy, and I haven't read a novel in a while, but the last ones I had been reading were uh, the Scott Harveth series by Brad Thor, which are very, very good. Um, They're kind of a Tom Clancy meets Bourne identity sort of thing, Um, and I read through that entire series and loved it, and so now at this point, I'm uh, looking for something else, a new series to start reading. James? Well, I can tell you what I should be reading. I have two non-fiction books sitting here that I got in the last week. Um, Embed with Games by Cara Ellison, where she documents traveling the globe for a year, staying on the couches of a dozen video game developers. And Electronic Dreams by Tom Lean, which is about the rise of the personal computer in the UK in the 1980s. What I am actually reading at the moment is the current run of Harley Quinn comics by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmolotti. And uh, I can highly recommend them, even or indeed especially if you've had problems with a character before now. Uh, and I just finished a fantasy novel called A Darker Shade of Magic by the author Victoria Schwab, or uh, I think V.E. Schwab is how she's credited on that book. And I'm reading the follow-up, A Gathering of Shadows. Both are excellent. I uh, highly recommend them if you are fantasy enthusiasts and that's all the time we have for today so it remains only for me to thank my guests christina warren thank you so much for being here thank you for having me casey liss pleasure to have you on again thanks it's always a blast appreciate it and james thompson it's always a delight a pleasure see you on episode 256 (laughs) (laughs) jason snell should be back next week until then i remind you watch what you say and keep watching the clock (laughs) 